This podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. My name is Elias. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, Elias. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it was like. I um, came into OA in 1977 uh, before cell phones, before computers, before answering machines. And we didn't have any OA literature. And of course, being a compulsive overeater, I showed up at my first beginner's meeting on a Sunday night, October 17th, at a meeting called the Serenity Meeting in the basement of a church, which was a little disconcerting since I was Jewish and, of course, non-practicing and hated God. And I thought that it was pretty cool, but the person who was leading the meeting was fat. And I thought, shit. Good evening. It is 8.30. There you go. And uh, like a really good addict, I was in a new situation, in a new place, hadn't the faintest idea of what was going on. Of course I knew best, and they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Typical. And this, And that's another attitude that's repeated over and over and over again. Nobody knows whatever the fuck they're doing. So what that does is that places me either on a different level than everybody else. Either I'm less than or I'm more than. But mostly it's comparison. You're a piece of shit. You don't deserve to live. Someone cuts me off on, on when I'm driving. You're a total piece of shit. Not that I've done it a thousand times. We have a double standard. It's okay for me. It ain't okay for you. So I thought, what the hell is this fat person leading a meeting? I mean, I mean, how are you going to get people to uh, come if, you know, did I know that she was a fat fifth-generation fat lady in the circus? And when she came into OA, she weighed 520 pounds? Bless you. And she, by the time I left New York, bless you, she weighed 120 pounds. And when she came into o, uh, OA, she was on welfare. And then in OA, she went to high school, she got her GED, she went to college, she got her master's degree, she got her PhD, she got a job with the social welfare department, she wound up running the social welfare department, she wound up paying back every goddamn sex cent that she took from them, even though she was entitled to it. So those are the models that we had in OA. We had about two people who had come from AA who were in OA. Both of them had been in jail for murdering people. And, and they were in, um, had been in AA and then came to OA. And then when people used to come from AA to OA, they'd say, welcome to the big time. <laughs> and they were happy. 
and they were joyous and they weren't obsessed with food and they looked normal and they taught they said that go to meetings work the steps read the big book and they were saying that was what was nothing used to bother I mean don't they realize that these people are like fucked up and crazy they just sit there just sort of roll their reaction had changed their reaction to life so before I came into LA I mean a long long time ago I was a, t- a big time tennis player I was uh, probably one of the top 100 players in the, in the United States in those days not many people played it didn't become big <laughs> to tell you the truth and that was in the days of wooden rackets so you can imagine how long ago that. and you had to have a one handed backhand and you had to absolutely you know what you were doing and it wasn't all about power and um, so I did I was thin I was 145 pounds and I was a little taller because I'm old now and I've shrunk it happens when you get older you shrink and um So my top weight after I had stopped playing tennis when I moved out away from my parents' house was 238. And then right before program, I still dabble. I I played a guy who was the number one, became the number one player in the world and I took a set off of him and then I lost because he just got annoyed and got, he was the number one player in the world. And he just got annoyed and got better and better and just blew me away. And I figured, well, if I can't be the best, fuck it, I'm taking my marbles, I'm going home. I didn't pick up another racket again for 10 years. And I loved tennis. I loved it. I used to think that if you can hit a topspin backhand down the line, that's heaven. Then I discovered sex later on. so And, uh, and drugs. And... Um, so 238, and then I came into O. And then right before I came into OA, I put on 75 pounds over the summer. And a person that I knew at the tennis court, I had a very compartmentalized life. I had my chess buddies, I had my classical music buddies, I had my dope buddies, I had my cocaine buddies, I had my party buddies. Uh, I had my intellectual friends. And... Um, he said, I'm, I said, my life is a fucking mess. I can't even talk to people. And he said, come with me. He didn't tell me I was going to an OA meeting. And he plopped me down and I never left. I don't know why. So for the first three years, anytime they'd mentioned the word God or higher power, I left the room. I came in late and I left early. And then gradually I heard the people say, you know, the big book, the big book, the big book the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. I'm not an alcoholic. Change food to alcohol. And then when they have, you know, um, when they tell you to eat sugar, I say take a drink and change jump Bali call into Sarah Lee and blah, 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 blah. And in the old edition, they used to have a triangle because a triangle, three points, are the least amount of points you need for something to stand if I have a chair with three legs, it'll stand. Unity, service, and recovery. They stopped, They took that out, but I have it in there. You can see this is not my original big book. My original big book 
uh, got lost in a move because I didn't pay the rent and I got evicted, to tell you the truth. And, uh, but the big book does float since I was kayaking once and it fell overboard and it floated and we got it back. And I didn't realize that they were saying in here that this is the disease of the mind and body and it's chronic. So that means that before I came in, right, my highest weight was 278. And then I only gained over the summer, I only went up to 278. I only gained 50 pounds. That was pretty cool. Then I came into OA and um, abstinence was a tool in those get days and I was like, exercising furiously and I still the higher power shit drove me nuts but I heard people say you only need to go to two meetings a week square business the only problem is you don't know which two meetings I went to a lot of meetings I went every day and gradually I came to believe that this is a disease of the mind and body that means that when I eat, I use food to tamp down. If you go to meetings, you sit and you hear how people use food. They use it when their feelings are too much for them. They use it when their feelings aren't enough, when their expectations aren't met, when their expectations are met, when they met a guy and the guy treats them like shit. They Eight. When they met someone and they liked them back, that was even fucking worse. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Uh, you had a job, you were doing well. Ugh, God, I think I'm gonna eat. You have a job and you fuck up. <gasps> I'm not perfect. I think I'll eat. Someone said you're too fat, too thin, too this. You got piano legs, you got big tits, you got Ah, whatever, you're alive. I think I'll eat. <coughs> and eventually you realize that you eat for no reason. And then you also eat for the worst reason, for fucking oblivion. So in a way, I ate properly and I took care of myself and I did the things they talked about and I had a stretch of 12 years where my weight didn't change. And then I stopped. <laughs> and you know what happens when you stop doing the things that make who you, you who you are? When you start stop doing good things for yourself? You start doing bad things for yourself. If you're a compulsive person. Because a compulsive person has an abnormal reaction to shit. Most people eat too much or eat something that, that like, ugh, I just ate a fucking box of cookies. That's really fucking gross. I don't think I'm going to be doing that anytime soon. We go, I'll never fucking do that again. Well, guess how long that lasts. <laughs> One to the minus 10, 20, 10 to the minus 26 seconds, smaller than a nanosecond. It's like a fucking black hole. You don't even know that you're eating. You have no idea. I was brushing my teeth. I had one of those fancy schmancy toothbrushes, you know, that tells you, like, you got two minutes here and two minutes there, and then when you finish, you got a minute to do your gums on each one. 
And I was like thinking about the steps for some reason and I forgot where the fuck I was. I didn't know which one am I doing. And then I realized, hey, when you're brushing your teeth, dude, brush your fucking teeth. When you're working the steps, you work the steps. So I have an abnormal reaction with food. I went and tried on a pair of pants and they were too tight. So guess what I did? <laughs> I binged my fucking brains out. Would you consider that abnormal? You have friends who tie on a pair, but they're a little too tight. I think I'll eat less for the next two weeks. All right. Okay, fine. All right. Oh, I'm feeling fat. I'm going to call in fat and then binge my brains out. I did, I, I, somehow I think that's an abnormal reaction. So I have an allergy of the body and then my mind so if I I see I couldn't personally stop putting down bad food or food that was bad for me or food that if I did over and over and over again without the steps so the problem is one of mind and body and it's chronic and it's progressive in program the first time I went back to not doing what I was doing I went up to 278, which was more than I ever weighed. And then I stayed there for a bunch of years. I don't even know how many, like maybe five or ten years after I lost it. And then I stopped again. And I went up to 292. And then I lost it. I got down to like, I don't know, 212, 210. And then I stopped. And the last time, two years ago, in January, I weighed 338 pounds. My blood pressure was 220 over 180. My cholesterol, the top number, was 380. In that November, they had put a catheter up my leg because they thought for sure I had plaque in my arteries. But I haven't eaten meat for 30 years. As a result of coming into the program, I met someone who dragged me off to kidnapped me and took me to a yoga class. And I started doing, and I, I wasn't obsessive about it. I went every day for 15 years, and I um, stopped eating meat. And, beca- and the way I stopped was, I would not eat meat for a month when it gets hot in New York and then have like three bacon cheeseburgers with a double order of fries and then I'm like, I'd feel like, I don't feel so good. I didn't think that maybe, you know, you're eating too many cheeseburgers at bacon chip one time. But then I found out that I went longer and longer and I didn't, I was able to do it. In those days, they didn't have all the fake fancy schmancy meat products, you know, fake meat products that they have today. Now it's easy. So I, I didn't have any plaque. Two years ago, my wife died, and I uh, started coming to meetings again, and I started working the steps, because the problem is that I'm sick in the mind and body, and if I stop, if I was able to stop eating, my mind would still be nutso, unless I change my reaction to life. So it's a really easy program. All you have to do is change your whole life, and everything's cool. So I can't do it myself. 
no power, no amount of will that I can summon will make me stop. So they say, dude, we can help you. We have a solution. Something that is larger than you. So if I'm powerless, we admitted we were powerless. There's your admission ticket. So when I go to the symphony, or I bought a ticket tonight to go see Robert Earl Keane. You know what? I'm going to go and listen. I'm not going to stand there with my ticket outside. Well, <laughs> I've admitted. It's your admission ticket. Come on inside. We have a solution for you. What is that solution? A power greater than yourself. So I'm human. I have limited powers. My best thinking got me to 338 pounds. I used to be a fucking theoretical physicist, for Christ's sakes. How the hell do you get from there to there? Stephen Hawkins does not know the answer to that. Even though he knows what's on the fucking other side of a black hole. He don't know where my mind goes when I start eating compulsively. I don't know where my mind goes. Nobody knows. So if I'm eating for no reason, I'm going to stop for no reason. That no reason has to be more powerful than me. If I tell you that I'm going to take away something that you've turned to your whole life and that makes you feel good and that, you know, like anytime there's there's an issue... You're feeling better. We're going to take that away and you're going to be fucking miserable and the road narrows. Doesn't that sound like a really fucking good time? No. We're going to replace it. So in the beginning, I couldn't stop binging and they said, we don't care. Keep binging and now add something. Come to a meeting where we're going to love you and we're going to take the shame away because I'm a compulsive overeater. So I have a reaction to something and I eat and now I'm fat and now I said to myself that I wasn't going to do this shit again and now I have guilt, shame and remorse about the fact that I did it again. Forget about the original issue. That's still going to be there. But now I have more guilt and shame and remorse because I ate and I'm like now fatter than before. And then I have all this guilt and shame and remorse. (laughs) What am I going to do with that guilt, shame and remorse? I'm going to eat again. So now I've eaten more and I've gotten more guilt, shame and remorse. Or maybe I'll throw up. Which is a whole other ballgame and that's a lot worse to tell you the truth because they've got a secret. They look normal but they know how fucked up they are. So they're pissed off that you don't know. Okay, that's another issue. So how do I get rid of the guilt, shame, and remorse? I come here and I hear other people who've gotten over it. They found a power greater than themselves. And they tell you exactly, it's a simple program of action. And there are a lot of myths in OA. They say that you haven't taken the first step until you stop eating flour and sugar. How could you be practicing the first step perfectly if you 
That's your admission ticket. That means that that illustrates your powerlessness. I can't stop. Well, I went and binged. Of course you did. I one of my first dates with my wife. We went to the ferry building and we got uh, this baguette and this like very rich uh, eggplant spread. And then I dropped her off and she had fun. And then she calls me up and she's crying, and she says, "I ate." the whole baguette and the whole like 16 ounce tub of eggplant dip and I went so <laughs> she starts shrieking and crying she says what do you mean so I said so you're a compulsive overeater what did you expect now you have to be nice to yourself I'm not going to beat you up that's your job you're an expert at that that's not our job here here we're nice to you so now you have a shot because you see that I've done it. I came here and I said, oh, fuck, man. Somebody said something at a meeting and I went home and binged. Or I went to a meeting and then I felt really great afterwards and, oh, I binged my brains out. Well, how long have you been coming to meetings? Uh, a week? And how long have you been a compulsive overeater? Uh, 25 years. Oh. <laughs> Anything wrong with that picture? You have to be nice to yourself. It's not going to happen overnight. And then they say, in this book they tell you that clear away the wreckage, of, abandon yourself. What does it mean? that you're pa- What have you got to lose? Your obsession, your deal with food. So you, they tell you exactly. They say in in this in this um, book, which I sort of despised when I came in here. I also had worked as an editor in for scientific journals. Um, I thought the syntax sucks, the grammar is terrible, the thinking is muddled, and I said to somebody. Who wrote this? A bunch of alcoholics? And he said, Why, yes. We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seeming... It has to seem like it's hopeless. If it's not hopeless, you're not going to do it. Hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely, and then what do they do? They know that you're an alcoholic and you need to have it stamped on your fucking forehead. Precisely. They italicize that. Where I come from, that means we're making an important point now. Hello. Wake up. Pay attention. Precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. This is a textbook. So they have knowledge. They're going to give it to us. We don't have knowledge. I didn't have it. And then... So, they say, you know, what to do when I need an em- They tell you the cure for depression. When I need a mental uplift, I often think of another. They say, in, in our belief, any scheme of shielding the person, oh, I can't, go to the, I can't go here and I can't go there and everybody has to eat the way I do, it ain't going to happen. Let your friends know that they are not to change their habits on your account. If you have a reason for being there, go, have fun. 
My first job, of course, I pissed everything away. I got thrown out of three graduate schools. I pissed all my fellowships away. And uh, actually, I drugged them away. I didn't piss them away, let's be clear. And uh, so I, got a, I had a job at uh, The Gap, and I was friendly with a 19-year-old kid, and it was my first year, and we were going to a Christmas party when they had real Christmas parties. And I said, oh, Kevin, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't smoke weed. At that time, I didn't. And I don't eat compulsively. And I'm not drinking. What the fuck am I going to do? And he wiggles his hips, and he snaps his fingers, and he says, have a good time. How did he know that you don't have things that are blocking you anymore? So the 12 steps, 3 through 9, are a prescription for what to do. Very simple things. You admit you're powerless. That's the first step. Two, came to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity. That means, you number one, you were once sane, and number two, that you're fucking insane now. The things that we do with food, that I did with food, they're insane came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, made a decision. Notice there's no action here. This is thought because it's mind and body. But now we got to deal with the body too. So you're going to have to take actions. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory, positive and negative, not self-pitying. My whole life was filled with self-pity and fear and resentment. They're going to show you how to get rid of that because of life. And then, you know, what do you think is going to happen when you give up your substance? You're going to feel better, right? You're going to feel resentment better. You're going to feel anger better. You're going to feel pain better. You're going to be more, much more pissed off <laughs> unless you find something to replace what you got from the food with something else. So a searching and fearless moral inventory, not full of self-pity. Now you finally, they bring another person into it. Admitted to God, so it's a process. That means you're still lying to yourself and other people. God to ourselves and to another person, the exact nature of our wrongs. Not in annoying detail. If it's taking you a year to do your inventory, think about it. Six and seven, they talk about the bondage of self. We're entirely ready. It's a process. It's not going to happen. You're going to think that you'll, you're not, you're not going to be any fun anymore. You're going to be boring. Yeah. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Oh, where am I going to be without them? Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Made a list of all persons we had harmed because we had an impact on the world made direct amends wherever possible and now you're almost there and then you can live in 10, 11 and 12 continue to take personal inventory and when, not if you make a mistake, that means you get to clean it up you can start that step right away 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact not medication, but meditation (laughs) with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out Step eight and nine, they're not about myself because two through seven are all about myself. 
it's about my impact because now I feel good enough about myself to know that I have denied the love that God gives each of us we've denied the people around us that love and our presence and 12 having had a spiritual awakening guaranteed as a result of these steps tried to carry the message you don't have to listen it doesn't matter and also tried to practice these principles in all our affairs so I'm very grateful that I've been here that I'm alive two years ago my, my heart rate was 160 it's now 62 my blood pressure was 220 over 180 it's now 114 over 60 and I'm taking two medications down from 10 and I'm not crazy about food anymore as an illustration I'm still a compulsive overeat I went out to dinner with a friend of mine last week and when they brought my entree I liked the fact that it was huge and I said whoa you are a compulsive overeater so I turned to my friend I said would you like some that's how I diffuse it but I'm still a compulsive overeater I'll always be a compulsive overeater but I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And that I'm truly grateful for.